chapter twenty nine of the maid of scar this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the maid of scar by r d blackmore chapter twenty nine a visit to a parson my opinion of devonshire now grew fast that most of the people are mad there honest respectable very kind-hearted shrewd at a bargain yet trustful simple manly and outspoken nevertheless they must be mad to keep parson chowne among them but here as in one or two other matters i found myself wrong ere i finished with it if a man visits a strange country he ought to take time to think about it and not judge the natives by first appearance however superior he may be this i felt even then and tried my very best to act up to it nevertheless it came back on me always that in the large county of devon there were only two sound people parson chowne for the one and of course for the other davy llewellyn so i resolved to see this thing out especially as when i came to think nothing could be clearer than that the parson himself had descried and taken me with his wonderful quickness for the only intelligent man to be found how he knew me to be a welshman i could not tell then and am not sure now it must have been because i looked so superior to the rest of them i gazed at the two crown pieces when i came to be active again the next day and finding them both very good i determined to keep them and go to see after some more but if i thought to have got the right side of the bargain so far as the money went i reckoned amiss considerably for i found that the parson lived so far away that i could not walk thither and back again without being footsore for a week and captain fuzzy would not allow it especially as he had bound me to help in discharging cargo and being quite ignorant as to the road to hire a horse would not avail me even supposing i could stay on board of him which was against all experience and by the time i had hired a cart to take me to nympton on the moors as well as a hand to pilot her behold i was on the wrong side of my two crowns without any allowance for rations they told me that everybody always charged double price for going up to the parson's and even so did not care for the job much because though it was possible to come back safe there was a poor chance of doing so without some damage to man or beast and perhaps to the vehicle also hereupon i had a great mind not to go but being assured upon all sides that this would be a most dangerous thing as well as supported perhaps by my native resolution and habits of inquiry i nailed my colours to the mast and mounted the cart by the larboard slings it was a long and tiresome journey quite up into a wilderness and for the latter part of it the track could not have been found except by means of a rough stone flung down here and there but the driver told me that parson chowne took the whole of it three times a week at a gallop not being able to live without more harm than this lonely place afforded 
finding this fellow more ahead of his wits than most of those devonshire yokels are i beguiled the long journey by letting him talk and now and then putting a question to him he was full of course like all the town of poor captain vellicott's misadventure and the terrible spell put upon his new horse which had seemed in the morning so quiet and docile this he pretended at first to explain as the result of a compact formed some years back between his reverence and the devil for parson chowne had thoroughly startled and robbed the latter of all self-esteem until he had given in and contracted to be at his beck and call like a good servant until it should come to the settlement and poor parson jack was to be thrown in though not such a very bad man sometimes it being thoroughly understood though not expressed between them that parson chowne was to lead him on step by step with his own pilgrimage all this i listened to very quietly scarce knowing what to say about it however i asked the driver as a man having intimate knowledge of horses whether he really did believe that they like the swine of the gadarenes were laid open to infection from even a man with seven devils in him and the more so as these had been never cast out according to all that appeared of him at this he cracked his whip and thought not being much at theology and not having met it may be until now a man so thoroughly versed in it i gave him his time to consider it out but the trouble seemed only to grow on him until he laid down his whip and said not being able to do any more horses is horses and pigs is pigs every bit the same as men be men if the lord made em both the devil had the right to take em both this was so sound in point of reasoning as well as of what we do here in church that never another word could i say being taken in my own shallowness and this is the only thing that can happen to a fellow too fond of objections however the driver perceiving now that he had been too much for me was pleased with me and became disposed to make it up by a freedom of further information if i were to put this in his own words who could make head or tail of it and indeed i could not stoop my pen to write such outlandish language he said that his cousin was the very same knacker who had slaughtered that poor horse last night to put it out of misery having an order from the mayor put this here hannimal to death he did it and thought no more about it until he got up in the morning then as no boiling was yet on hand he went to look at this fine young horse whose time had been so hastened and the brains being always so valuable for mixing with fresh but i will not tell for the sake of honour it was natural that he should look at the head of this poor creature finding the eyes in a strange condition he examined them carefully and lifting the lids and probing round in each he found a berry my coachman said that his cousin now took these two berries which he had thus discovered out of a new horn-box in which he had placed them for certainty and asked him to make out what they were 
the knacker for his part believed that they came from a creeping plant called the bittersweet nightshade or sometimes the lady's necklace but his cousin my coachman thought otherwise he had wandered a good deal about in the fields before he married his young woman and there he had seen in autumnal days the very same things as had killed the poor horse a red thing that sticks in a cloven pod much harder than berries of nightshade and likely to keep in its poison until the moisture and warmth should dissolve its skin i knew what he meant after thinking a while because when a child i had gathered them it is the seed of a nasty flag which some call the roast beef plant and others the stinking iris these poisonous things in the eyes of a horse cleverly pushed in under the lids heating and melting according as the heating and working of muscles crushed them then shooting their red fire over the agonized tissues of eyeballs what horse would not have gone mad with it also finding so rare a chance of a devonshire man who was not dumb i took opportunity of going into the matter of that fine old gentleman whose strange and unreasonable habit of seeking among those braunton burrows as if for somebody buried there had almost broken my rest ever since till i stumbled on yet greater wonders coachman however knew nothing about it or else was not going to tell too much and took a sudden turn of beginning to think that i asked too many questions without even an inn to stand treat at and perhaps he found out with the jerks of the cart that i had a very small file of rum not enough for two people to think of he may have been bidding for that with his news if so he made a great mistake not that i ever grudge anything only that there was not half enough for myself under the trying circumstances and the man should have shown better manners than ever to cast even half an eye on it at last we were forced on the brow of a hill to come to a mooring in a fine old ditch not having even a wall or a tree or a rick of peat to shelter us and half a mile away round the corner might be found as the driver said the rectory house of parson chowne neither horse nor man would budge so much as a yard more in that direction and it took a great deal to make them promise to wait there till two of the clock for me but i had sense enough to pay nothing until they should carry me home again still i could not feel quite sure how far their courage would hold out in a lonely place and so unkind and even with all that i feel within me of royal blood from royal bards which must be the highest form of it i did not feel myself so wholly comfortable and relishing as my duty is towards dinner-time nevertheless i plucked up courage and went round the corner here i found a sort of a road with fir-trees on each side of it all blown one way by strong storms and unable to get back again the road lay not in a hollow exactly but in a shallow trough of the hills which these fir-trees were meant to fill up if the wind would allow them occasion 
and going between them i felt the want of the pole i had left behind me and if i had happened to own a gold watch or anything fit to breed enemies the knowledge of my price would have kept me from such temptation of providence a tremendous roaring of dogs broke upon me the moment i got the first glimpse of the house and this obliged me to go on carefully because of that race i have had too much and never found them mannersome one huge fellow rushed up to me and disturbed my mind to so great a degree that i was unable to take heed of anything about the place except his savage eyes and highly alarming expression and manner for he kept on showing his horrible tusks and growling a deep growl broken with snarls and sidling to and fro so as to get the better chance of a dash at me and i durst not take my eyes from his or his fangs would have been in my throat at a spring i called him every endearing name that i could lay my tongue to and lavished upon him such admiration as might have melted the sternest heart but he placed no faith in a word of it and nothing except my determined gaze kept him at bay for a moment therefore i felt for my sailor's knife which luckily hung by a string from my belt and if he had leaped at me he would have had it as sure as my name is llewellyn and few men i think would find fault with me for doing my best to defend myself however one man did for a stern voice cried shut your knife you scoundrel poor sammy did the villain threaten you sammy crouched and fawned and whimpered and went on his belly to lick his master while i wiped the perspiration of my fright beneath my hat this is a nice way to begin said chowne after giving his dog a kick to come here and draw a knife on my very best dog go down on your knees sir and beg sammy's pardon may it please your reverence i replied in spite of his eyes which lay fiercer upon me than even those of the dog had done i would have cut his throat and i will if he dares to touch me that would grieve me my good welshman because i should then let loose the pack and we might have to bury you however no more of this trifle go in to my housekeeper and recover your nerves a little and in half an hour come to my study i touched my hat and obeyed his order following the track which he pointed out but keeping still ready for action if any more dogs should bear down on me however i met no creature worse than a very morose old woman who merely grunted in reply to the very best flourish i could contrive and led me into a long low kitchen dinner-time for the common people being now at maturity i expected to see all the servants of course and to smell something decent and gratifying however there was no such luck only without even asking my taste she gave me a small jug of sour ale and the bottom of a loaf and a bit of dutch cheese of course this was good enough for me and having an appetite after the ride i felt truly grateful however i 
could not help feeling also that in the cupboard just over my elbow there lay a fillet of fine spiced beef to which i have always been partial and after the perils i had encountered the least she could do was to offer it down anywhere else i might have taken the liberty of suggesting this but in that house i durst not further than to ask very delicately madam it is early for great people but has his reverence been pleased to dine did he give you leave to ask sir no i cannot say that he did i meant no offence but only i mean no offence but only you must be a stranger to think of asking a question in this house without his leave nothing could have been said to me more thoroughly grievous and oppressive and she offered no line or opening for me to begin again as cross women generally do by not being satisfied with their sting so i made the best of my bread and cheese and thought that scar house was a paradise compared to nympton rectory it is time for you now to go to my master she broke in with her cold harsh voice before i had scraped all the rind of my cheese and when i was looking for more sour beer very well i replied there is no temptation of any sort madam to linger here she smiled for the first time a very tart smile even worse than the flavour of that shrewd ale but without its weakness and then she pointed up some steps and along a stone passage and said exactly as if she took me for no more than a common tramp at the end of that passage turn to the left and knock at the third door round the corner you dare not lay hands on anything my master will know it if you do this was a little too much for me after all the insults i had now put up with i turned and gazed full on her strange square face and into the depth of her narrow black eyes with a glimpse of the window showing them your master i said your son you mean and much there is to choose between you she did not betray any signs of surprise at this haphazard shot of mine but coldly answered my gaze and said you are very insolent let me give you a warning you seem to be a powerful man in the hands of my master you would be a babe although you are so much larger and were i to tell him what you have said there would not be a sound piece of skin on you now let me hear no more of you with the greatest pleasure madam i am sure i can't understand whatever could bring me here but i can she answered more to her own thoughts than to mine as she shut the door quite on my heels and left me to my own devices i felt almost as much amiss as if i were in an evil dream of being chased through caves of rock by some of my very best customers all bearing red-hot toasting forks and pelting me with my own good fish it is the very worst dream i have and it never comes after a common supper which proves how clear my conscience is and even now i might have escaped because there were side passages and for a minute i stood in doubt until there came into my mind the tales of the pack of hounds he kept and two or three people torn to pieces and nobody daring to interfere 
also i wanted to see him again for he beat everybody i had ever seen and i longed to be able to describe him to a civilized audience at the jolly sailors therefore i knocked at the door of his room approaching it very carefully and thanking the lord for his last great mercy in having put my knife into my head you may come in was the answer i got at last and so in i went and a queerer room i never did go into but wonderful as the room was surely and leaving no memory a shade of half-seen wonders afterwards for the time i had no power to look at anything but the man people may laugh and they always do until they gain experience at the idea of one man binding other men prisoners to his will for all their laughing there stands the truth and the men who resist such influence best are those who do not laugh at it i have seen too much of the tricks of the world to believe in anything supernatural but the granting of this power is most strictly within nature's scope and somebody must have it one man has the gift of love that everybody loves him another has the gift of hate that nobody comes near him the third and far the rarest gift combines the two others one more one less and adds to them both the gift of fear i felt as i tried to meet his gaze and found my eyes quiver away from it that the further i kept from this man's sight the better it would be for me he sat in a high-backed chair and pointed to a three-legged stool as much as to say you may even sit down this i did and waited for him your name is david llewellyn he said caring no more to look at me you came from the coast of glamorgan three days ago in the rose of devon schooner catch your reverence if you please the difference is in the mizzenmast well jack ketch if you like sir no more interrupting me now you will answer a few questions and if you tell me one word of falsehood he did not finish his sentence but he frightened me far more than if he had i promised to do my best to tell the truth so far as lies in me do you know what child that was that came ashore drowned upon your coast when the coroner made such a fool of himself and the jury as well your reverence about the child i know nothing at all describe that child to the best of your power for you are not altogether a fool i told him what the poor babe was like so far as i could remember it but something holy and harmless kept me from saying one word about bardy and to the last day of my life i shall rejoice that i so behaved he saw that i was speaking truth but he showed no signs of joy or sorrow until i ventured to put in may i ask why your reverence wishes to know and what you think of this matter and how certainly you may ask llewellyn it is a woman's and a welshman's privilege but certainly you shall have no reply what inquiry has been made along your coast about this affair i longed to answer him in my humour even as he had answered me with any one else i could have done it but i durst not so with him therefore i told him all the truth to the utmost of my knowledge making no secret of hezekiah and his low curiosity also the man of the press with the hat and then i could not quite leave out the visit of anthony stew and sir philip 
this more than anything else aroused parson chowne's attention for the papers he cared not a damn he said for two of them lived by abusing him but as he swore not except that once it appeared to me that he did care however he pressed me most close and hard about anthony stew and sir philip when he had got from me all that i knew except that he never once hit upon bardie the heart and the jewel of everything he asked me without any warning do you know who that sir philip is no your reverence i have not even heard so much as his surname although no doubt i shall find out you fool is that all the wit you have three days in and out of barnstaple it is sir philip bampfylde of narnton court close by you there is no narnton court that i know of your reverence anywhere round our neighbourhood there's candleston court and court isa and court tush i mean near where your ship is lying and that is chiefly what i want with you i know men well and i know that you are a man that will do anything for money my breath was taken away at this so far was it from my true character i like money well enough in its way but as for a single disgraceful action your reverence never made such a mistake for coming up here i have even paid more than you were pleased to give me if that is your point i will go straight back do anything indeed for money pooh this is excellent indignation what man is there but will do so i mean of course anything you consider to be right and virtuous anything which is undeniably right and upright and virtuous ah now your reverence understands me such has always been my character in your own opinion well self-respect is a real blessing i will not ask you to forego it your business will be of a nature congenial as well as interesting to you your ship lies just in the right position for the service i require and as she is known to have come from wales no revenue men will trouble you you will have to keep watch both day and night upon sir philip and narnton court nothing in the nature of spying your reverence or sneaking after servants or underhand work nothing at all of that sort you have nothing to do but to use your eyes upon the river front of the building especially the landing-place you will come and tell me as soon as ever you see any kind of boat or vessel either come to or leave the landing-place also if any man with a trumpet hails either boat or vessel in short any kind of communication betwixt narnton court and the river you need not take any trouble except when the tide is up the river am i to do this against sir philip who has been so kind and good to me if so i will hear no more of it not so it is for sir philip's good he is in danger and very obstinate he stupidly meddles with politics my object is to save him i see what your reverence means i answered being greatly relieved by this for then and even to this day i believe many of the ancient families were not content with his gracious majesty but hankered after ungracious stewards mainly because they could not get them i will do my best to oblige you sir i finished and made a bow to him 
to obey me you mean of course you will but remember one thing you are not to dare to ask a single word about this family or even mention sir philip's name to anybody except myself i have good reason for this order if you break it i shall know it and turn you to stone immediately you are aware that i possess that power please your reverence i have heard so and i would gladly see it done not to myself as yet but rather to that old woman in the kitchen it could not make much difference to her keep your position sir he answered in a tone which frightened me it was not violent but so deep and now for your scale of wages of course being opposite that old house you would watch it without my, any orders the only trouble i give you is this when the tide runs up after dark and smooth water lets vessels over the bar you will have to loosen your boat or dinghy punt or whatever you call her and pull across the river and lie in a shaded corner which you will find below narnton court and commanding a view of it have you firearms then take this the stock is hollow and contains six charges you can shoot i'm sure of that i know a poacher by his eyelids he gave me a heavy two-barrel pistol long enough for a gun almost and meant to be fired from the shoulder then pressing a spring in the stock he laid bare a chamber containing some ammunition as well as a couple of spare flints he was going to teach me how to load it till i told him that i had been captain of cannon and perhaps the best shot in the royal navy then don't shoot yourself he said as most of the old sailors have reason to do but now you will earn your living well what with your wages on board the schooner and the crown a week i shall give you a crown a week your reverence my countenance must have fallen sadly for i look to a guinea a week at least and to have to stay out of my bed like that it is a large sum i know llewellyn but you must do your best to earn it by diligence and alacrity i could have sent one of my fine naked fellows and of course not have paid him anything but the fools near the towns are so fidgety now that they stare at these honest adamites and talk of them which would defeat my purpose be off with you i must go and see them nothing else refreshes me after talking so long to a fellow like you here are two guineas for you one in advance for your first month's wage the other you will keep until i have done with you and then return it to me a month your honour i cried in dismay i never could stop in this country a month why a week of it would be enough to drive me out of my mind almost you will stay as long as i please llewellyn that second guinea which you pouch so promptly is to enable you to come to me by day or by night on the very moment you see anything worth reporting you are afraid of the dogs yes all rogues are here take this whistle they are trained to obey it they will crouch and fawn to you when you blow it he gave me a few more minute instructions and then showed me out by a little side door and all the way back such a weight was upon me and continual presence of strange black eyes and dread of some hovering danger that i answered the driver to never a word nor cared for any of his wondrous stories about the naked people whose huts we beheld in a valley below us nay not even though truly needing it and to my own great amazement could i manage a drop of my pittance of rum so the driver got it after all or at least whatever remained of it while i wished myself back 
at old newton nottage and seemed to be wrapped in an evil dream both horse and driver however found themselves not only thankful but light-hearted at getting away from nempton moor jack even sang a song when five miles off and in his clumsy way rallied me but finding this useless he said that it was no more than he had expected because it was known that it always befell every man who forgot his baptism and got into dealings with parson chowne chapter twenty nine